0: Welcome to The Culture Classroom, a podcast for teachers and coaches by teachers and coaches. Listen to top leaders, innovators, and influencers share their stories about how intentional culture elevates
1: performance. Now, here are your hosts, John Weaver and John Torrey. Let's get better together. The Culture Classroom is powered by Pro Quick Draw. Clinic season is right around the corner. Are you ready? Pro Quick Draw is here to get you organized. Listen to our sponsor as they talk about the effectiveness for building your playbook with Microsoft Visio and PowerPoint.
2: ProQuickDraw is the Microsoft Playbook development system that is centered on increasing your efficiency in drawing plays, generating scouting reports, creating scout cards, drawing within PowerPoint and Visio. Build your library of plays from scratch or by using the PQD folder system. Utilize our Visio stencils or PowerPoint shape library to help you draw your plays. Create your playbook by adding drawings from your library to a custom template to help organize your final playbook. PQD will resize your drawing based on the template that you have chosen. We believe we have the tools that can help you become a better coach. Coach Weaver,
0: great to have you back in the classroom again, and uh, just wondering if you have time for another podcast. (laughs)
1: That's funny you ask that. I always have time to make a podcast, and what a fun topic we're going to talk about today is our commitment clock.
0: No, no, there's no R in this. It's your idea, Um, and uh, we've just kind of taken it and ran with it, and it resonated with me when you were describing it over the weekend, but um, I love the idea of the commitment clock.
1: Yeah, you know, I spoke at this uh, little coaches retreat this past weekend, and we talked about time zone coaching, and uh, what I ha- how I actually titled was like time zone uh, or time zones of winners and losers. And after discussion with you, this thing has morphed into something that I think we can help a bunch of coaches out with, and even help athletes out with a commitment clock because. You know, everybody knows about the half-hearted kamikaze. We can talk about that a little later, but are you involved? Are you committed to building um, a legacy and a culture within your program?
0: Yeah, and I think the clock is just important because as sports people, uh, we always keep our eye on the scoreboard, right? We always know how much time is left in the quarter, in the half, in the game, uh, in the match, whatever it is. We always have a one eye on the clock while we're coaching a game. And if your coaching strategy doesn't match what's happening with the clock, then you are way behind the eight ball. Uh, but that's something that we do as coaches. So commitment is something that we drive from our teams and our organizations, those that we lead. And the clock is just that extra piece where it's always ticking, right? We're always looking for the next thing, and hopefully we're going to have a shot to win at the end.
1: Yeah, and to and add to that, I think you have to be in the moment to be able to know how much time you have left. Because uh, there's also those times that you get blown out, and you want the clock to run as fast as you want. Like, it, can this thing get over fast enough? Um, but then there's also those times when it's those pressure-packed moments where it's like five seconds, three seconds. So, do you want the ball on the la- on the last shot? Um, but you're exactly right. We're always looking at time, and and what we're we're starting to do, JT, is put these Google slides together, uh, these presentations for our listeners, so. Not only can you listen to this podcast, you can also follow along and then, um, cater this to your team, um, edit it, add some, some of your flavor to it, add your team's logo. Um, but I think it's a cool thing that we're starting to do too towards not only our podcast, but we're actually giving our listeners uh, a resource and a tool that they can use inside of their, um, team meeting room or an organizational uh, business office.
0: Oh, no doubt. I mean, that's the, the idea, right? It's free, like download it, play around with it, add to it, like people put your own spin on it. Uh, we, this is not territorial at all. This is Coach Weaver's idea and we've built this together, but then it's kind of like take it and run with it and adapt it to make it yours. That's what the best culture people do
1: in my opinion. Second one is brought to you by GameStrap, the most reliable, advanced, and fastest sideline replay system on the market. It's simple and easy to use with 24-7 support and a money-back guarantee. Choose GameStrap for all your game day needs at GameStrap.com or on Twitter at GameStrap. Let's get started on the commitment clock. And the first one that I talked about this past weekend is your spare time. Um, You know, when you start looking at time zones, you look at spare time. And it's those people that I'll get to it if I have time. It's, you know, you think about a spare, a spare tire, if you will. Like it's just there unless you really need it. And if you have time. So if your tire goes flat, then you'll get into, you know, get that spare tire on there. But you think about spare time, JT. And it's it's that moment to where um, it's important only if I have time to get to it.
0: Yeah. It's a nice to not a half to. Right. And I think that's your spare tire analogy is really good because hopefully, you know, I love it when I buy a car and I drive that car for how many years and I never have to see how good that spare tire is. Right. Right. And so that's spare time. Like we all have time the same way. Uh, It's cold and snowy up here in Iowa and boy, my garage really needs to be swept out. But I don't have spare time right now as we had to postseason wrestling so uh, the spare time it, it's important because I don't think a lot of us use our spare time in the right way um, but again it's spare time so that's not judgmental uh, I would rather sit down and watch a movie with my wife and kids at night than sweep out my garage in sub-zero temperatures
1: absolutely so let's we've put together this uh, this pie chart if you will and there's uh, it's divided into fourths and the bottom left quadrant we have designated as spare time so as we go through this you're going to see how this uh, pie chart kind of fills up uh, of where you are it goes back to um, something we've already done when we started looking at um, the commitment continuum i believe it was um, where we have each diagram set up so like bottom left is your spare time
0: yeah, the the next one that is the bottom right, then, and that quarter section is going to be part time.
1: Yeah, and then when I talked about this weekend, uh, I think about part time coaches. Um, like they get paid, but they're not they're not there all day. They're not with the kids all the time, and they're the ones that I'll do it when it's convenient for me. So I'm in, like I'm 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 in I'm uh, I'm in not in I'm involved. I guess you would say. Um, I'm not super committed. Uh, I, I'm there sometimes. I'm, if I'm not there, it's okay. Uh, but the part-time is exactly what it is. Like you are there. Um, it's totally different from spare time, but you'll do it only when it's convenient for you. So I'm there when it works for me.
0: Yeah, I think about part-time uh, in my coaching and professional life. Um, in the spring when I don't coach a sport, or in the summer when I pop in in the weight room, um, and I go in maybe at a time when the rest of the team is not lifting, and maybe I interact with one or two kids, but that's okay because we're not in season. Um, also just being visible, that's, that's a big part of part-time, right? Like you show up, you kind of do some things, but you don't. It, it's nice to not have to have a whole lot on your plate. And so that part-time really should be part-time. If we're gonna take care of us as coaches, it's really important that we manage part-time, be visible, be around, but don't invest the same way you do when you're full-time or when you're in the middle of the season.
1: Right. So that'll bring us to our top left quadrant, which is full-time. And the definition we came up with that was I'll do it because it's required and I'm responsible for it. This is the one where, um, the alignment is starting to happen. Uh, where you have full-time coaches, you have full-time at, like you're you're in, like you're bought in. Um, it's required. I have a boss telling me to do it. Uh, I'm responsible for it, so I'm putting my my stamp on it. Uh, so that's, to me, that's what full-time is.
0: Yeah, and I just think about other duties as assigned, right? So generally, when you're full-time, you're not calling the shots, but you're involved, you're in charge, you're committed. Uh, you're going to take your 20 square feet. Uh, That's what I think about full-time is I'm going to own my 20 square feet. Maybe you don't know how it fits into the bigger picture, or maybe you don't know how that impacts other people, but you're going to own and lead your 20 square feet.
1: Yeah, I just think about culture real quick. Um, You have coaches on a team that are like, I'll do it because we're supposed to do it, and I'm responsible for it, so I'm going to own a little piece of it, um, but I'm doing it because somebody else maybe told me to do it. Or because it's our team's doing it, so that'll that'll segue us straight into um, all the time, and that's that top right portion. Um, it's there. It, it it takes what it takes. Like I'm going to be there as long as it takes to get the job done, regardless of the circumstances that happen. Like I'm I'm all in, if you will.
0: Yeah. Earlier this fall, um, one of our pregame speeches in a playoff game was uh, our coach talking about effort, right? So our offensive coordinator, Nick Potts, got the team together and he goes, you you give great effort all the time. You don't give it just because you're uh, up in the ball game or you don't give it just because you're in the red zone or you don't give it just because, um, you know, it's the end of the game and the game's on the line and it's do or die time. You give great effort all the time. And I think when you start looking at that upper part of the pie chart, whether it's the left or the right, you're talking about effort, not effort. So the people that do it all the time do it regardless of the circumstances, right? And and the cliche of it takes what it takes. That's Nick Saban's. It's been Trevor Moeds. It's kind of permeating the coaching community, uh, but that's it. It's, it's no excuses. It's, it doesn't matter if I get paid more, I'm going to work harder. It doesn't matter if we're going to win the game. It doesn't matter if it's uh, better for me or not? Like we're gonna do it because it's that top ten percent, right? In the ten eighty ten principle, it's you're like, talking about the top ten percenters, and it's probably even only a section of that. It's probably not even the full ten percent of the ten eighty ten.
1: Right. So I go back and I talked about the half-hearted kamikaze. Right. They have to be all the time. So this kamikaze was interviewed um, by a reporter, and he's like, "Hey, just." kind of want to know like you've flown 30 missions, right? He's like, yeah, he goes, you're kind of an oxymoron. He goes, well, I was kind of, I was involved. I just wasn't super committed. And I think of all the time, you know, the kamikaze is supposed to fly one time, one flight, um, and do his job. That's all the time. Like you have to be all in all the time, um, going back to it takes what it takes regardless of the circumstances all the time, time zone, definitely, definitely uh, a part of a winner's creed.
0: No, for sure. And um, again, if you've been a kamikaze pilot for 30 missions and you're still walking and flying mission number 31, there's, there's something going on with that, right? Like, your commitment is preventing you from doing something. So the all the time piece, I mean, it's so rare, um, but it takes what it takes. Nick Saban is definitely an all the time kind of guy. Pete Carroll in the NFL is an all the time kind of guy. Right. Uh, The second part to this is there's two different times that I've heard authors write about. Uh, And I just call it simply standard time and event time. And so, Again, looking at the pie chart and splitting it down the middle, uh, the bottom quadrants of the pie are standard time. Basically, I think about the old Dolly Parton movie, 9 to 5, where she's the secretary working in this big office, and you punch in, and it's 9 o'clock, and then 5 o'clock happens, and it doesn't matter if you're done with your work or not. You're a low-level employee. You punch out. Um, Some of my buddies are still like nine to five employees. They still punch in, they still punch out. They don't get paid when they're not at work. They're not salary. Um, And that's standard time, right? Think about as coaches, we've all kind of mentally done the math about how much we actually get paid per hour throughout the season. And that's a really negative thought, right?
1: Yeah. yeah, I think I did. It was like a dollar 37 or something like that. It was something crazy. Um, definitely JT in the coaching carousel in the world we live in, that old nine to five job, uh, doesn't exist. You know, sometimes I think our wives wish it was right when you're home, kind of like when you're home, you're home, we try to make that happen. But that standard time of, you know, the number of hours that you punch in and punch out, um, it's hard. The picture that you have on here, it, it got me giggling a little bit. Um, but from the Flintstones, when Fred's punching in and punching out, when, when it's time to go home, it's time to go home, and um, I think about workers. You ask them to help you, uh, like say at Walmart or, or Kroger or something like, "Hey, can you help me with this?" And they say, "I'm clocked out. I'm clocked out."
0: Right. I I even think about teachers. Right. Some of the people that we work with, uh, you know, the teachers that are there from seven thirty, and the minute three thirty hits because contract time is over, they're they're out the door, right? Yeah. yeah. And so that's standard time. I mean, when you think about how many hours you work. Um, and I heard an author one time, author speaker one time put it this way. They said that if you're working 40 hours a week, that's just a partial effort. Mm. And so I think about you and I who coach and some of our listeners out there who coach, lead organizations, we do other things. Uh, We definitely work 40 hours. I might've worked 40 hours this weekend. You know, we didn't have school Friday, but I had a wrestling tournament. We had district wrestling all day Saturday. I've got almost 40 hours wrapped up in those couple days.
1: Right. That's right. It's, Standard time is standard time. I guess is the best way you can put it. Um, you're, yeah, doing, just, you're doing you're doing the it, bare you're doing the bare minimum, and the standard uh, is the standard, but best is not your standard.
0: No, if you want best, you got to go to event time, and this is kind of the time that uh, you and I operate on. But I grew up on a milk farm, right? We had a dairy at about twenty five dairy cows from the time I was growing up, twenty five to thirty all the time. And anyone who's grown up on a dairy farm or anyone who's been around a dairy farm, cows don't milk themselves. And as a farmer, if that's your livelihood, you've got to milk the cows twice a day. We, we milked at seven in the morning and we milked at 5.30 at night. And uh, it's not just like, oh, it's seven o'clock, I'm headed out to the barn. It's like, no, the cows need to be walked in. They need to be fed. There's a process to it, just like there is everything else. So we might start our day at 5.30 or six in the morning, my dad, and my grandpa and I, uh, but the thing about the dairy farmer too, is that sometimes things go wrong, right? Milkers break, cows are bucky. Uh, they, they get out of the fence. They don't want to be walked in. They got they're, it, It's not an easy life. Um, most days it is, but the farmer doesn't get to clock out and go home. Cause it's five o'clock. Yeah. Uh, the, the cows still gotta be milked. So the farmer gets to go home after all the work is done for the night.
1: Yeah. I, I think about, um, views being on a dairy farm. I used to work for UPS back in high school and I was in the little feeder truck and they said, Hey, these trucks can't go out until you unload this feeder. Well, I get in the feeder and I'm like, this is great. There's 2 AM in the morning. And I see these layers, like there's a top layer and then there's a line of um, swinging doors and there's more stuff underneath it. So my event time was, Hey, you have to get all these boxes done by this amount of time. Now, did it go over 30 minutes sometime? Absolutely, because things happen. The conveyor belt stops. It gets backed up. Packages are heavy. But also think about that with event time. I don't leave, and those trucks don't leave to go deliver packages until the job is done. And it started with the job that I had to do, uh, which is unload the feeder.
0: And if you're working on event time, you are all the time. Right, like I can count on one hand how many days my family took on vacation when I was growing up in the first eighteen years of my life till I went to college. One hand, and a lot of times it was all right. Let's do the evening milk, then let's drive two hours to Omaha to see family friends, and then we're back in the car first thing in the morning so we can go do the next morning milk. So. And same thing at UPS. It's like once you get the feeder truck unloaded, okay, you're done. That might take a long time, but it's an all the time thing. The feeder truck never really gets emptied, right? There's always more to do.
1: Absolutely. Always. Um, So I love the spin that we put on this first part of the commitment clock. So how we took spare time, part time, full time, and all the time and kind of turned those into the time zones uh, for coaches, for athletes, for business owners. And then we kind of gave them the the model of standard time and event time and the really cool spin that I think that you've put on this is we look at the four stages of of us growing as a coach. And that's what I want yeah. to segue to next. And you know, the, the four ways of us to grow as a coach, I think you and I are in the growth stage right now, uh, but I would love to talk about uh, the novice coach. And I go back and I think about my first job, the whistle, the stopwatch, the practice plan. Um, To me, that was the easiest thing. Like somebody gave me a practice plan, somebody told me what to do. Um, The the responsibilities were there, but they weren't that important. Um, So it was just, I was learning my coaching craft. Uh, I was having fun with it. Not saying that I'm not having fun now, but the joy of just coaching, And, and a lot of times you hear this as a polo coach, right? They get to put the jacket on Friday nights, and they they love the the brand new car smell of it, if you will.
0: No, I I think the graphic uh that we want people to put in their mind, the image in their mind is think of a clock, you know, from 12 to 12, working from right to left, all the way down uh the four quadrants of, of a circle. And uh, the novice coach is kind of either just starting out or maybe has less than 10 years of experience. So zero to nine years, kind of how I defined it. Um, that's when you learn the most about yourself, right? Like I totally remember like breaking out the new kicks for game day, just because like, because that swag was important. Right. And Mm -hmm. Randy Jackson even talks about how the easiest thing in coaching is putting the whistle around your neck. Um, It's a guy snapping pictures, you know, on the sideline because it's game day and he's going to show it and put it all over his social media. Um, That's really immature as a coach because do those things happen? Yes. Do my wife and I sit there and take pictures to this day? Yes, after games. But we've evolved past that. So early in your career, those are the things that are most important to you, I feel like.
1: Yeah, great, great, great segue to that. Great. You know, I never really thought about that. I was going off the the zero to nine years. How and, and like you said, it was, um, I guess, immature. I guess um, I don't know. It was just one of those things that I can still remember my first nine, my my first day coaching, my kind of this ten year, nine year window of uh, you know, like I said, the polo coach. Like I got to put on the the new stuff and you know, put on the the cool sunglasses and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, and I think the other part of a novice coach is your first 10 years, you're evolving, right? Mm-hmm. You're you're moving from being a player to being a coach. And there is a distinct line there, and some people can't handle it, especially if you were a really good player. It's hard to be a really good coach because you don't always know all the things or or the ins and outs that you need to say to reach different types of people. It was so intrinsic to you that that's really hard to communicate to others. So I think about young coaches in their 20s just getting started out of college, just finishing their playing days in a lot of situations, and then how they grow. I remember the first time I had to put together a game plan, and I was like, you know, in my head, I'm like, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this, and this. And then it's like, we got to the game, and the bullets start flying, and you're like, oh, I'm not very well defined on this.
1: (laughs) Well, the next step, I think, we go to, and it's, if you want to look at the clock, it's three o'clock to six o'clock and it's the growth coach and it's the 10 to 19 years. It's kind of, it's, this is where we are right now. Um, yeah. And for me, I was thinking about you're seeking feedback, you're, you're growing as a coach. Uh, however, though, it's easy to stay in your comfort zone and not step out and take a risk. And then asking for feedback helps you grow. Um, and I think that's what I, that's the hardest part I think is seeking that feedback and then who you seek it from. And then are you getting told truth? Because all in all, you want to grow. Um, and when we grow, it's like, do you listen to podcasts? Do you read books? Are are you just listening to others? Um, and older coaches like, Hey, stuff that they have done and you're just soaking up like a sponge.
0: Yeah, you know, I I think there's a lot of different ways people grow, right? Like, that is an individual question. How do you grow? Um, And if you're listening to this podcast, just maybe pause right now and jot down some of the ways that you grow. Um, And if you're listening to our podcast, you're growing by listening to us or you wouldn't be listening, right? Um, So I think you're exactly right. I also think about what's your trajectory, right? Because where you are right now is not going to be where you finish up. But no, I, I think about... When I go to coaches' clinics, right? Like when we, now we're speaking at coaches' clinics, coach Weaver, and, uh, and those are always a good thing. It's, it's always neat to connect with us. I think the best part of speaking at a clinic, in my opinion, is because I get to go to the rest of the clinic for free uh, in most situations. And so I'm the guy that's taken 70 pages of, of notes on my legal path. Um, my, I go back to the novice coach. So go back to that 12 to three o'clock coach I was the guy who was like, okay, when are they going to roll out the kegs?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. You know,
0: when can I just talk ball with other coaches and have a few beers? And so when we talk about that maturity, if you're the growth coach, uh, think about your trajectory that you're on that 10 to 20 year window where you are coach Weaver and I are like smack dab in the middle of that right now. Mm-hmm. But what do you do to build yourself up so that you can be better as you reach the second half of the hour?
1: Now we're going to go to the career coach and these are guys that are older than us. Uh, typically they're, they're seasoned head coaches, um, they're coordinators and this is the the six o'clock to nine o'clock on the, uh, on the clock, if you will. And their careers, that 20 to 29 year window, uh, they're seasoned. Um, they've, they've done, uh, I guess you would say they're, they're embedded in their craft. So yeah. they're, they're growing small, but they're more of, hey, this is who I am. Nick Saban, career coach, uh, Dabo Sweeney, career coach, Mike Shashevsky uh, career coach, guys like that.
0: Yeah, leopards don't change their spots, right? Right, right. So at this point, if you become a career coach, you've been in the business for 20 to 30 years, um, and everyone kind of has an older guy on their staff who's kind of in that window or you have people that you're around, maybe in your inner circle that are there, that maybe they're almost like a mentor to you at this point. But this is kind of when everything melds together. It's your philosophy, it's all the good and the bad experiences that you've had, your lessons that you've learned along the way. It it kind of comes down and you're like, okay, this is who we are. You know, I know the older I get as I start to head to this part of my career, it's like, I know that if you want to win playoff games up here in the North, you better be able to have a great running game and a solid defense. These are the people that do it for love of the game. They yeah. could get out, but they truly love the game. They truly love being around yeah. um, other people. And also, I think about these are the people, if you're a career coach, these are the people who are the best at surrendering the outcome. Mm. Like they've been there, done that. They know that one or two ball games, even if they're really big, you know, that's not going to move their needle at all. They're going to be steady Eddie right. as they go throughout the game. Uh, they're going to be steady Eddie throughout the season. They're going to be that rock that your program leans on right. in times of uncertainty. And that just doesn't happen, right? The novice coach doesn't quite have that. Uh, even the um, growth coach, you know, I, I struggle with that myself. Like I'm just now starting to do that point, but emotions spiral out of control mm-hmm. in some situations. Um, but not for the career coach, right?
1: Yeah, the career coaches, career coaches, there they've they've done the time, they're they're close to retirement, but not, uh, but they're. I think this is the part where you enjoy a lot of the the pieces that you've put together. So it it almost the career and the mentor coach are very similar, and that's our next one is and, and the last one is the mentor coach who's the nine to twelve. Uh, on the clock it's a 30 plus years um I think about our head basketball coach right now Richard DeWeese who's been in it for over 40 years and uh, all-time winningest coach but yet he's there to mentor help coaches teach them hey this is what I did good this is what I did bad and this is what I would do differently um but these mentor coaches uh were good career coaches I think the career coach and the mentor coach go hand in hand with um with this quadrant that we're doing this commitment clock, because if you're a good career coach, then you're definitely going to be a great mentor coach and help others along the way.
0: Yeah. And I think if you start getting into the upper half of the clock, you know, the, the six to 12, you're worried about your legacy at this point, like mentor Mm -hmm. coaches, it's all about legacy. Even the career coach, they wouldn't do it if they didn't care about their legacy or helping others or or what they were wanting to do, uh, what they wanted to leave behind with their program when they were gone. Um, I think about Bill Walsh as an outstanding mentor coach. Uh, Something like his legacy has 29 of the last 33 Super Bowl winners can trace their heritage all the way back to Bill Walsh and his coaching tree. Um, I think about my classroom as a teacher, right? I teach eighth grade social studies now, a lot of times in middle school is overlooked, but I've had seven student teachers in the last eight years. All seven of those student teachers now teach somewhere in uh, Nebraska or Northwest Iowa. And it's neat that they text me, they text me back and forth like my job as a teacher, and I'm not to this quadrant yet by any means, but I think about that, like my student teachers out with jobs in Northwest Iowa that's the same as Bill Walsh uh, having his assistants go on to be head coaches or having assistants go on to be coordinators somewhere else. Well, and then it, the, the circle closes, right? Like that's the whole idea of the circle is that it closes. That's what makes a circle different. So if you get to the point where you're a mentor coach and you're in that 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock on a clock and you're bringing other people along, there's a good chance that they're going to keep going from the 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. Yeah. And then eventually they'll be in the three o'clock to six o'clock and then so forth, so on and so forth. And that's where legacy is so important. And and guys like Bill Walsh and, and even like, once you've hired back other people in your program um, and they're now teachers and coaches, they obviously thought about it, enough of the school, enough of the program to come back and want to do it too. And that circle closes.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, the last, the last thing is on here and, and, and I always want to talk about if there's time on the clock. And and you when you put the quote on there, uh, I kept thinking I'm a huge LSU fan. I thought about the Bluegrass Miracle. You know, if there's time on the clock, then there's still time to win. So for us, no matter where you are on this, this commitment clock of being a novice coach, a growth coach, a career coach, a mentor coach, as long as there's time, which I don't know about you, but there. When we hit 24 hours it starts back over again at the first hour of the next day um, there's always time to win yeah you
0: know this is a quote that we keep in our wrestling room um and then that it, it's so true like i was just coaching at our district tournament on saturday we had three kids going on three different matches on three different mats so all of us coaches were coaching a different mat. and uh you know i'm i'm there with our with our kid and And he's going up against one of the better kids in the tournament kid that probably should have made the state tournament. And I look at him, I'm like, all right, let's go, let's go JVT. That's he's also one of my running backs. He's a sophomore and he's, he's about 500, a little less than that. It's been a hard year for him. He's wrestling some guys that he's about two years away from being a really good wrestler, but he goes, I go, I'm in your corner and he goes, coach, that's all I need. Mm -hmm. And he goes out and he wrestles hard the first period. Then he wrestles hard the second period, even though he's losing to a quality kid. And then in the third period, he hits a huge move out of nowhere and sticks the kid. So, again, if the match is still going, there's still time to win. And that was a really proud coaching moment for me because, one, he thought enough of me to have confidence that I'm in his corner, that I'm going to help him get it done. But then, two, to take a risk and hit a really big move late in a match uh, that paid off, that is really rewarding to see.
1: Well, I want to I want to finish with this, and I think about the Bluegrass Miracle a lot uh, as an LSU fan. Um, two seconds left. They're they're at Kentucky. I'm going to play this clip for for our listeners.
3: November ninth, two thousand two, Kentucky, underdogs, and playing host to the defending SEC champs, the LSU Tigers. A packed Commonwealth Stadium was ready to explode as fans watched the Wildcats model a fourth-quarter comeback capped off by a 29-yard Taylor Bagley field goal to put Kentucky up 30-27 with 11 seconds left. The fans, they went wild. The players, sensing victory, doused head coach Guy Morris with a traditional Gatorade bat. But what happened next would go down in SEC lore. The Tigers facing 91 yards for the win, When pick-up 17, L.C. quarterback Marcus Randall hit Michael Clayton for a quick first down and timeout. Then, with two seconds left in the clock, Nick Saban's Tigers called one last play. Dash right, 93 Berlin. Now commonly known as the Bluegrass Miracle. Devery Henderson somehow ended up with Marcus Randall's heave and found pay dirt 74 yards later for one of the most memorable and unlikely Hail Marys of all time, lifting LSU over Kentucky. Fans not realizing the Tigers had scored stormed the field and tried to tear down the goalposts, but Kentucky had lost 33-30 as a result of the Bluegrass Miracle.
1: And you know, I, I go back and I think about I think about this whole thing full circle. No pun intended. But when we're talking about if there's time on the clock, then there's still time to win. Well, going back to the wrestling match that you had, um, those kind of things don't happen if your athletes are spare time or part time. They're full time and all the time. So they, they know that there's time left and they're going to be full-time, and they're going to be all the time. But as far as culture goes, and you're talking about your coaching staff, if you have full-time people, you have a chance to win in the locker room.
0: Wow, that's such a great thought. And I guess I want our coaches who are listening and our leaders who are listening to reflect. I want you to think about wins that you've had in your program that maybe looked improbable or that there was doubt there, or you weren't sure if you were gonna get it done, but there was still time on the clock, and then someone in your organization surprised you. So tag us, find us on Instagram, find us on Twitter, uh, reach out to either Coach Weaver or I, send us a DM, but we'd love to hear your story of desperation, big move, and how it paid off for you and your program.
2: ProQuickDraw is the Microsoft Playbook development system that is centered on increasing your efficiency in drawing plays, generating scouting reports, creating scout cards, and much more. We have the capabilities of drawing within PowerPoint and Visio. Coaches are currently using the programs as standalone drawing platforms or integrating them both within PQD. You can create your presentation using PowerPoint, but quickly add plays from your Visio library. Build your library of plays from scratch or by using the PQD folder system. Create your playbook by adding drawings from your library to a custom template to help organize your final playbook. Utilize our Visio stencils or PowerPoint shape library to help you draw your plays. Speed up the workflow by not having to copy and paste. PQD will resize your drawing based on the template that you have chosen. Embed video within your presentation to help create a digital playbook. We offer templates for handouts and presentations for staff, unit, or player meetings. Generate your practice script using our advanced button. Print this for your coaches or send digitally to your players before practice. You can even convert the handout to scout cards and flip the drawings. Save time during the week not having to draw cards. Draw that play once for the year and you have it moving forward. Connect your library to a cloud service or the school network. When a coach updates a drawing, simply click the Refresh All Plays button to update the document. We believe we have the tools that can help you become a better coach. Download a free 30-day trial and change the way you work.